If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary Internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it. We take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. Paratopia, welcome to another exciting edition of You, Paratopia. No? Jeff? Uh... Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. Oh. Paratopia. I already did that part. So, tonight's guest is one Kim Carlsberg. Ms. Carlsberg is a successful commercial photographer. She is the author of Beyond My Wildest Dreams, Diary of a UFO Abductee. And her latest book is called The Art of Close Encounters. It's a 352-page coffee table book featuring artwork from alleged and real abductees and experiencers, one of whom is uh, our very own uh, Emma Woods. To learn more about the book and Kim, please visit www.theartofcloseencounters.com. But before we get to the interview, Jeff, I think we have a special announcement to make. One Jacques Vallée will be joining us next week on the Paratopia Show. Is he hanging around for two hours? Do we know? Um, I don't know. Let's, uh, let's push for that. Yes, let's, because we have tons of, tons of questions to ask Jacques Vallée, uh, both about his new book and about, uh, the experience here phenomena in general as well. I mean, abductions, all of that last time, uh, well, have, have you interviewed him before? Jeremy? I have never spoken to Jacques Vallée. This is my, huh? I think final dream interview. I can't think of anyone else uh, mm. that I really care about. Who I well, have uh, right, right. Um, last time I talked to him was on the Paracast show. Now, I think a couple of years back that never aired because the audio was lost. But uh, Jacques answers questions in such a great way. And he's very thorough about his answers. And I think uh, I think it being just the two of us and him uh, – going through all of this stuff that we've covered on the show before from the George Hansenisms to, um, you know, some of the stuff we're going to cover tonight with Kim, uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to hear his takes on all of those things. And we're also going to talk a lot about, uh, the new book wonders in the sky. Yes. Yes. This is like ear candy and dreams all happening at the same time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be fantastic. Super excited about it. Speaking of ear candy and dreams, so Paratopia, without further ado, please welcome our very special guest, one Kim Carlsberg. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. So I want to, you know, get into your new book, but first uh, I just got to ask you because you, or thank you maybe for, for breaking the Emma Woods case, you would actually, I, I'm not certain, uh, were you threatened 
for publishing um, information about Emma Woods by David Jacobs, or were you just told that he might sue you or or some somehow harm you if you were to um, mention it? I was told that he had friends and that I could be in trouble. And so it wasn't a direct threat from David by any means, but there was um, – it was enough to – it was enough to scare me, but, you know, I've been abducted by aliens most of my life, so a scare from, you know, a group of people that are in the same genre, really, you know, I've been abducted by the government, and, and I, the, the, any kind of threat that I would get at this point in my life, um, I don't take real seriously, because I think I've probably been through the worst of it as it is. Okay, so, well, we uh, definitely want to yeah. we definitely want to get into your abductions, and we're going to have some questions about that. Um, but okay. I want to know about your book. What what made you decide to do a uh, an art book? Essentially, um, that's what it is, right? Gathering up uh, artwork. It is an art book. It's a coffee table book. It's three hundred and fifty two pages, I believe. Um, it's uh, black pages with beautiful, saturated, colorful art. Um, all the art is on every story is a double page. And so the art is on the right and the story on the left. So every time you turn the page, you get a whole new story. You know, I'm a photographer by trade and an artist, so I'm very visual. And you can't talk about um, the art of close encounters without actually talking about my first book and going into the abductions because that's how I got the idea for the art of close encounters. Um, my first book, Beyond My Wildest Dreams, I published back in 1995, and it was a combination of my diary entries over seven years of um, continued alien abduction. And by the time I decided to write the book, uh, one of my best friends was a brilliant illustrator, Daryl Anka. And, you know, we were, we hung out together all the time when I was writing the book. And and well, he would start doing sketches, and I'd say, oh, gosh, wouldn't it be great if the whole book had sketches, if the whole book was illustrated? And then we got into it, and then we said, yeah, let's do that. Let's illustrate the book. And let's make every single image completely different. Let's have, you know, one be a watercolor, one be a etching, one be, um, you know, just just so that every time you turn the page, you would get something completely different. And it was a really, you know, fun book. People loved it. I mean, as far as, a, you know, abduction can be fun, the book was visual and fun to read. Um, so at the end of that book, I, did, I just put in an invitation to other people out there. I said, listen, if you've had an experience and you, you have some art uh, that you'd like to share, just send it to me. So um, that was back in 95. And, uh, I, you know, back then it was really pre-Internet, um, and it was very hard for people to get information to me. I get these, you know, 10-page handwritten letters and this art that was done on a piece of paper and mailed through the mail and um, I received enough for a chapter, but not enough for a book. Mm-hmm. And so I put everything away for a and then, um, then I went on Facebook about, about a year ago. And I realized that there was this, you know, whole huge, wonderful world of contactees and abductees right there at my fingertips. And, uh, you know, the idea just hit me over the head one morning. This is, this is the time to finish the book. I had to wait for technology to catch up. 
So, what was your uh, screening process for uh, for artwork? I mean, how do you tell that somebody is an authentic abductee or experiencer? Um, you know, I, it, it was really just my own experience, what I knew about the genre, uh, the phenomenon, and um, most the story. I, I can't think of a, an actual story that came to me that felt unauthentic. So, you know, when people. Well, people are sharing, you know, their stories. I mean, this isn't like they're going to get rich or famous off one little story inside of a book. They really wanted to participate. I mean, these were, I guess my screening process was that these were my friends that I had, you know, handpicked on Facebook. So um, when the stories came in, like I said, they were all, they were all genuine, mm-hmm. just from what I, what I know. And I, I didn't have to, uh, like I said, I didn't have to deny any story for the, for the idea of thinking that it was not real. Now, I've read your book, uh, In My Wildest Dreams. Um, I'd read it uh, quite a while ago, and I was just sort of refreshing it, in, uh, you know, flipping through today to refresh my memory. Um, but you sure. don't, I don't think you mention in there anything about military abductions, do you? Uh, yeah, I do. I've got one or two stories in there. Is that toward the um, end? Because I was I was flipping through and I, I was looking for it because I I didn't remember reading it the first time. I guess um, I mean, did that become a more prominent you know, f- feature? Excuse me, what did it become more prominent? Yeah, in your life. I mean, it, it seems like most of the book is about sort of gray aliens. Well, gray aliens. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I've uh, there were I, I don't know two or three experiences where um, I, I definitely had two. Uh, military abductions. I, I've had abductions that involve the military and the Greys together. So I don't know, you know, who was responsible for the abduction, but um, I've definitely seen them working together. So um, it, it didn't get to be any more than the Greys, that's for sure. I mean, it was a, it was a small part of my experiences, but you know, I can't I can't even this book. You know, I wrote it 15 years ago, and I set it down because. What happened? I was just—I was talking about it so much. I—I I was talked out, so I wrote—I wrote the book and I put it out there for people to read and get my story. And I don't think I ever opened it up again until just recently. <laughs> so um, if I had to—I had to find that story. I'd have to go through the book and. Well, uh, I don't think we have enough time for me to find it. <laughs> well, that's fine. Uh, no, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Um, the yeah. one thing that that we've talked about on this show um, that certainly. Uh, for instance, George Hansen points out over and over again is that this abduction experience um, or any sort of odd paranormal thing, really, I don't even know that he limits it to abduction, um, seems to take place around times of great change and stress in people's lives. And I noticed that just reading it again today, that your book is filled with stress around all those times that you're uh, being abducted by greys and that sort of thing. Do you find that connection? I mean, would you even be willing, uh, open to the idea that maybe your interpretation of what's happening isn't really what's happening, that there might even be something stranger than military or stranger than, you know, Gray's working, um, some sort of genetic program? Is that something that you're open to? No, not really. I've had enough experiences that I'm so familiar with with the scenario and, and, you know, the abductions that... I wouldn't go there. It's pretty simple. It's just, you know, they're an an ET race, extraterrestrial race, extra-dimensional race, 
that is here uh, manipula- manipulating our DNA. And it's really that simple. Um, as far as I know, as far as the grades that are dealing with me, um, it's no big deal. Uh, you know, they have techn- as far as the government's concerned, I'm sure the government's been scared to death since they realized it was going on because they, they can't do anything about it. Um, you know, they've got their, their ways of getting, you know, walking through walls and, and shifting through dimensions. And so, um, here you've got a phenomenon that, that you can't control. So, uh, I understand why the government kept it silent for so long, but I think by now in our evolution, it's time that we just start, you know, opening it up and realizing that this is a very populated multiverse and, and we're just part of it. And, you know, I, I'm coming to the conclusion that I think these guys were here way before we were and and that we are the visitors. So, um, no, I don't think, you know, I, I, of course I have to be open to, to any idea after what I've experienced, but I'm, I just know so much about it and I've had so many experiences that they just, they look cookie cutter. They look, you know, I, I know what uh, a hybrid child looks like. I know why they, uh, why they're, abductionist, you know, creating these hybrid children and these hybrid races, and it's just it's just not that complicated. Why so are they? I, they're well, they've told me they've told me over and over again that um, they're creating a hybrid race to help save planet Earth because we're destroying it. So um, you know, I always tell people that we're just we could be their ant farm and and something has to be done before we destroy the planet so um, they are creating hybrid races whether they have to resort to integrating them in with us at the last minute to try to save the planet or not I don't know I'm, I, I bet they're hoping they don't have to and this could be just what they they do as geneticists in the universe they may be the 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 ones that feed the new planets, so the you know billions of planets that are being born um, as we speak. So uh, I don't know how much bigger you can get than that. You know, they're just part of God and part of the universe, like all of us, doing what they do. Well, let me ask you, knowing uh, what you now know, at least about Jacob's version of hypnotherapy, um, does it give you pause um, for any of the things that you've retrieved under hypnosis? I mean, do you ever no, question? I, uh, no, I, ninety percent of my experiences were conscious that were in my book. There were only, um, you know, maybe three or four sections of abduction of a few of my abductions that weren't clear. So I went for uh, a few regressions, not even a handful of regressions, with Yvonne Smith to fill in some of those gaps, and um, she was absolutely incredible. Um, the information came through very easily. It filled in the picture, you know, filled in the puzzle, and it was um, a very positive experience for me. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's difficult to talk about, you know, David Jacobs because he was one of the frontiersmen of, uh, you know, this, this whole phenomenon and, and bringing it to the public awareness, and I'm sure, you know, he's contributed a lot, and uh, something just went uh, astray or a riot that the, the end there was Emma. Um, I think there are so many people that have think they've had experiences, but because they're not conscious, you know, they go to these extremes to, to pull them up, 
and I don't I, I don't know that that's healthy. I think if you if if you have to sit through hundreds of hours of hypnotherapy to try to you know come up with a conclusion of what happened, then I think you're better off not even going there. I I was conscious during my experiences, so, so it's a completely different thing. And you know the people that that just suspect or um, you know have have a few dreams and they go to all this you know, go through all this pain to try to receive it, I mean, to retrieve it. Um, like I said, I think it could be very dangerous. And and my greatest fear now is when I, when this situation came up um, about, you know, David and Emma, it just brought to light a lot of issues that we haven't addressed that we do need to address because anybody can be a hypnotherapist. You don't need a license. You don't need any training. You just, you know, put a sign out. And you, you know, here you have these vulnerable people who are, uh, you know, been through something traumatic that they don't understand. And, you know, they're looking to you like, God, like, help me, you know, like you're a doctor. And these people aren't doctors. They're just, they're vulnerable human beings as well. And they're dealing with something that's, that's strange. And they haven't even had the experience. So, you know, what I would love to see is, you know, the UFO community come together and, uh, you know, find some really, really qualified hypnotherapists that may be contactees and train them in the subject and, and put up stipulations that no one is left alone in a room with a hypnotherapist where their, their minds can be, uh, you know, implanted with ideas or they can be led or, um, Whatever, I think that there's just as, you know, when women go to a doctor's office these days, I don't know if it's true with men or not, there's that, there has to be a third person in the room. So well, there's there another be... issue here. The, I think the larger issue is that hypnosis is uh, shouldn't be used to recover memories, period. How about that? I mean, we, we've talked to Dr. Scott Lillianfeld, um, who's basically given us sort of the mainstream psychology take, which is that. Yeah. Hip- hypnosis is a behavior modification tool. Um, but I even just today, I'm looking at Adam Eason. He's a U- he bills himself as U- the UK's favorite hypnotist and personal development uh, coach, okay. I guess. And he's got an article here: Should hypnosis be used to recover memories? Does hypnosis increase the chances of false memory syndrome? And he basically says hypnosis should not be used for recovering memories, and that it does in fact create false memories, and that that's what study after study shows. So. I mean, if you take that for granted, well, if, shouldn't if, we just get rid of it altogether? Well, if if he's saying that, then why does it work for behavior modification? Obviously, it works. Well, so it doesn't. Who is because... he to say what? Who is he to say what it works for? Well, behavior I mean, modification is. That's not memory, though. Memory is not behavior modification. I mean, they're two totally different areas of the brain that you're dealing with. And predominantly okay. hypnosis, at least when you're talking about regression hypnotherapy, you're talking about um, an area of the brain that's dealt with uh, in the way of fantasy and dreams and that sort of thing, not particularly with memory. And so you run into this problem, of course, when you've got so many people out there uh, succumbing to uh, you know the, the common threads of, of hypnotherapy to recover memories, you've got not only the methodology of hypnosis, but you've got cultural contamination, you've got uh, 
um, the desire not to waste someone's time by going to them and actively seeking them out to start with because you think you've had this experience. So, you know, all of those things, never mind hypnosis as a tool, let's put that aside. All of those other factors that factor into all of that plus a bad tool equals making experiencers, essentially, because when, you know, and, and Scott Willenfeld has told us this and many, many uh, people that I've talked to over the past 23 years about this stuff told me the same thing, essentially that when you're hypn- when you've got somebody under hypnosis and they an idea comes up, these memories that they're concocting, uh, whether it be confabulation from their own minds or that of the therapist leading them, those memories are every bit as real as a real memory. So in effect, you're changing who that person is. That's where I got a real problem. Uh, and I think that's where ufology's got a huge problem in that they don't want to let go of it. Well, all I can say is in my personal experience, it helped a lot. And I have the recordings of my sessions, and there was no leading. Mm-hmm. It was, it, you know, I talked about an experience I was having, and just by being relaxing and having someone there to ask me the questions, what are you seeing, what are you feeling, um, I was able to bring in more detail than if I was sitting at a table having a conversation with a lot of other people. So I, I don't think it's that complex of a thing. You know, you're in a relaxed uh, state and, and you're being asked to remember details. So if that's all it is, I don't see that that's creating, you know, uh, or fabricating any experiences. Do you think you could have gotten yeah. that from just a personal one-on-one chat with somebody you trusted where you just felt relaxed and were, and they were just asking you questions? Uh, no, because I felt that um, Yvonne had had enough experience and enough knowledge uh, dealing with people of contact that um, I was more relaxed and more, more willing to go there. Um, you know, it's, it's just very personal and, and very scary, and knowing, like I said, you know, you don't have to be a doctor or have a license, but if you have years of experience and, and you're, uh, you have a great reputation like Yvonne, um, you know, she, I, I felt that I definitely got some value out of going to her. It was very healing. It was very healing for me, and it wasn't that big a deal. But like I said, um, you know, there's a, there's a place for everything, and, you know, you can abuse anything. Too much of anything is a bad thing, but um, I would suggest that somebody wants to go once or twice, you know, to, to clear up a little episode. That's fine, but I, like you said, I, I I don't believe in digging around in somebody's mind to, over hundreds of hours, especially over a telephone, to try to uh, you know create a life that yeah. Uh, well, just in terms of your own experiences, uh, do they give you a timetable for when this, you know, hybrid thing will be done? No, they they don't talk to me. They give me if they want to communicate with me, they put me through virtual reality experiences, and they make me live it. Uh, very few times they've actually spoken to me, and when they do, um, it's profound. But they they keep the hybrid children a secret. And after, you know, seven, I guess it was seven or eight years of abduction, I learned, uh, I got tired of it. My body was being torn apart from the, from, you know, being used as a, a, a puppy mill. So I decided to make the abduction stop and I did. 
And when I, when I did, I realized that I was going to give up the opportunity to ever see my hybrid children again. And that was heartbreaking because, you know, what they do is they, they create these children, they bring you on the ship, and, you, you know, the mothers nurse them, they bring you back, and you play with them, and, and you bond with them, and, but it's all by their, by their timing. I can't choose when I want to see my hybrid children. It's all up to them. So um, knowing that I, I had no choice, that uh, you know, I wanted the abduction to stop, and by doing so, I would lose contact with my, my hybrid children, um, it was... You know, it was a sad thing, but I had to save my body, and I didn't know how many more times they were going to let me see my children anyway. So I figured I was giving up maybe a few moments of my life that left, you know, in order to try to save my health. Um, did you ever go to a, a doctor or a, a gynecologist, and did they say, holy crap, what's going on with you? You've got all this tissue damage or anything like that? Yeah, I, yes, I did. I did. What I was the, what was the diagnosis? What did the, I mean? What did they say? And then you must have oh. said, "Well, you don't want to know." I mean, what, how did that exchange go? Oh, you know, endometriosis was was the only word that I ever heard. And you know, the doctor said we've taken away um, all the the scar tissue or whatever. We've cut the nerves to your uterus. Your uterus. You're never going to feel any pain ever again. And, you know, the next week I was in more pain than I had been before. So, um, you know, the medical <laughs> medicine doesn't know anything about it. Uh, did you, just, did you ever great, tell anyone? They're not great doctors. Did you ever tell anyone that uh, tell? this was aliens? No. <laughs> wonder what that reaction would have been. No, that, well, I mean, did they yeah, have a, exactly. a normal, I mean, they must have asked you what the hell is going on down here. I mean, did, did they ask you questions about what, what happened? No, they just said you have endometriosis. I oh, wanted yeah. for pain. That was the di- that was the diagnosis. They they you know treated it, and the tr- none of the treatments did any good. So, um, what is endometriosis? Like I, said, I never I, heard of that. I don't know. They, I, I, you know, we'll have to Google it. It's uh, it's, it's it's where the tissue that. Yeah, it's 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 essentially it's a condition that uh, the in the in the tissue that makes it behave like the cell linings of like the uterus uh, grow in other areas of the body, which causes pain and irregular breeding and and in most cases infertility. Now, in terms of the military, I'm going to steal a, a Jeff question and just ask: Did you ever see rank? Mm-hmm. Did you ever see a name tag? No, no, um, I. I actually saw the the bases. Um, I was taken in, I was taken into one room with two other female abductees that was half underground. So it was um, you know if you you're like in a basement of a house, but the the basement is only half underground. So you've got windows at the top, so you can see out the top. I was taken to a room and I could see the tarmac and I could see, you know, military um, people walking around. It was it was very vague because, you know, when you're abducted, they, they drug you and they give you, you know, they use mind control. And, and the military abductions were uh, a lot harder for me to be conscious through and, and remember. Um, but I, I knew that I was in a military base um, and I was taken into a room and there were two large chairs. It was this room was like some some wealthy person's um, 
cigar-smoking lounge. That's what it reminded me of. There was a fireplace, and there were these two huge chairs overstuffed with high backs. And uh, I, I knew, I see a lot of this, you know, when you're with the aliens and, and everything is telepathic, so you pick up things. Even if they're not directly speaking to you, you know what's going on. And um, the, I, I walked into this room, and the, the chair on the left stayed looking at the fireplace, and I knew it was some high-ranking military official. Um, the chair on the right turned around, and there was a gray alien sitting there with a, a terribly deformed face. And my, my reaction was, I mean, you can't hide your thoughts. And so I tried to not be disgusted by the gray's face because, like I said, one side was terribly deformed. And he looked at me, and, he, and telepathically he said, um, you know, this is, this is common in trying to create hybrid races. Deformities like these are common. They happen all the time in the uh, genetic hybridization program. And so I had never seen that kind of deformity. And my, fortunately, my hybrid children were all perfect. There was nothing wrong with them whatsoever, um, you know, physically. I did, and it didn't seem to be mentally or emotionally either. So um, I just, you know, I have brief moments of experiences like that where, uh, you know, the military and the Grays were together, um, but not a lot. When you have experiences like that, how does that, I mean, when does that happen? How does that come to you? I mean, do you remember it as it's happening, and then do you remember being transported to and from, I don't know, wherever you are, your, no. your bed, or is it your bed? Is that? Yeah, it, yeah, from my bed. Um, you know, like I said, it's been 15 years since I've had an experience, so these, you know, they're not fresh in my mind, but I did, I did not remember being transferred. I just remembered the experience, and, I, you know, I was, what I remember, I remember when I'm there, and then I would come home and I would, you know, write it down in my diary, either immediately or the next day or whatever. Um, did they ever say why they were abducting you, the military? I mean, did you ever get a sense of why they were involved? No, I can only suspect they wanted to know what I, what I knew. Uh, in, in, what, why didn't they just ask the gray? See, I had, I, <laughs> the, the gray sitting well, right no, there. I, I had... I had experiences that were only military, and then I had experiences that were military and gray. So I believe that the experiences that were strictly military, well, they wanted to know what was going on with me. They wanted to know what I knew about the grays, and they probably wanted to know what, what I knew about the other factions of the military that were working with the grays. All I can, all I can guess. Well, what what did you tell they, them? They they left me alone. I, I mean, what sort of, inf what sort of information could you could you give them that that would be useful to them? Do you think? Probably nothing, and that's probably why they left me alone. You know, I hear that they try to find people who have seen, you know, the inside of the the craft and how they operate, and uh, and they're looking for the technology and looking for people who can. I, I guess a lot of people actually. Uh, you know, drive the craft. I've heard a lot of people getting a chance to go for a little joy ride, and they're and I don't have any of those memories. So I think they they just try to find out what you know, and if there's anything of value, they probably keep coming coming back. 
but uh, I was not one to be taught the technologies by the Greys. I was just being used for the genetics. So they probably realized that right away and decided I wasn't worth their time. Now, when you hear other people's abduction accounts that differ from yours or that go in sort of a positive direction or, or something like that, do you give them the benefit of the doubt? Do you not trust them? What what would not ring true for you from an abductee? Well, I, I don't know. You know, uh, funny stories. I was standing on the line, you know, 15, 20 years ago at, at a MUFON meeting in L.A., and I'm standing next to um, this, this beautiful woman who was a friend of mine, abductee, and she was talking about, being abducted by reptilian aliens, and back then, I had never heard of a reptilian alien. And here I am, you know, in the process of putting material together that would end up being a book on the grave, and I thought she was insane. So after, you know, all, all these years and seeing the, all the different species that people talk about, the experiences that people talk about, I don't know that I would, I wouldn't discount anybody right off who would I be to judge someone else's experience? And I don't know why anybody would come forward and speak about something like this um, if it wasn't true, because all it does is destroy your life. You know, I had a wonderful career. I had a great boyfriend. I was living on a beach in Malibu, working on Baywatch. Life, there was no stress in my life, to go back to the earlier question. Um, my life was ideal. I had I had everything, and everything was great until... One night, um, I'm sitting at home, and this craft showed up in front of my house. Can I, can I ask a question there, Kim? Um, when, sure. when, the, when the craft showed up in front of your house, without prying too much, <laughs> um, what was going on in your life like specifically? Had you, had you had anything out of the ordinary beforehand or just maybe, maybe that week that had popped up that kind of threw you out of routine or something like that? Did anything like that happen to happen in that area? No. Nothing. Nope. It was just an ordinary, I wrote in my book, one ordinary night in the middle of an ordinary life, I had an extraordinary experience, extraordinary dream that changed my life forever. I'm well, forward. Kim, um, I, I'm curious. Um, I mean, first of all, about the, the, the beings to begin with. I mean, um, based on what you've experienced uh, throughout all these years, uh, if you had to take, if you had to hazard a guess, uh, how far in advance of us would you put them? Well, you're talking about linear time, and I don't even believe they exist in linear time. When I'm with them, my experiences are broken up into little pieces. All the pieces fit together by the end, but a lot of the times they're not linear. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, how can we measure? There's no way to measure. We don't know what you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of years means to, you know, species that are, you know, from another dimension of reality. And, and well, uh, I mean, know, I mean, like in the sense time, of time and space. Yeah. I mean, in, in the sense of like a, a technological sense, um, I mean, you know, uh, would you put them, would you say they're, they're vastly outdating us in, in terms of, of technology that they use or employ uh, with your interactions with them? You know, because I've had so many experiences and I've gotten, you know, used to their technologies, I don't think they're, as doctors, I don't think they're that far ahead of us. I don't think they're very good doctors at all as far as being able to, you know, get from point A to point B. They've definitely got us, uh, you know, 
you've got an advantage of this, uh, over that. But um, I, I don't know if it's just a natural thing for them as a species to be able to move from one dimension to another or right. if it's something that they've learned to do or if it's a technology, uh, but they do it like it's just it's breathing, like it's as natural as breathing to them. So maybe there are species in the universe that being multidimensional and shifting from one dimension to another is what they were born into. Mm. Just like, you know, we can, we can go uh, in and out of water. Um, right. There are some species that, yeah, so. Because um, I, I read on the net uh, earlier today that um, that you kind of equated these, or at least at one point, it, it said that you had equated these with zeta reticuli in some sense. Mm-hmm. Does that still hold true for you? Yeah, they, they told me that they were from zeta reticuli. Okay. So, uh, and that's before I had ever heard of zeta reticuli. So they actually, you know, when, like I said, when they want to communicate with me, they do it in ways that I will never forget. So I, w- I went to sleep one night and I woke up paralyzed and I heard this voice in my head and it, it just spelled out Zeta Reticuli starting with the first, le- with the very first letter. It was Z, Z E, Z E T. Z E T A. Right. Until they got to the end of the word. Okay. So, I mean, that's that's how they make you know they just make a point. Mm. Um, you know, they one of my experiences. They said, "You are us," and then all of a sudden, I felt myself uh, knowing that I was one of them, but I didn't know what that meant. But I felt like I was one with the universe, one with God, one with, with everybody. I was just one. And when they said, "You are us." That meant everything in the universe. And so I had this split moment of just knowing that um, we are all one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they, they have their ways of making you remember. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not through conversation. Well, yeah. Um, how, how about as far as, as the procedures of um, essentially, you know, using you for, as you said, a puppy mill farm? I mean, what was, if you, can you kind of walk us through a little bit about how they would implant, how they would handle all of that reproductive stuff? Well, yeah, it's just real simple. They would, they would abduct me and take my genetic material and they would combine it with other genetic material and create a, a fetus that was a certain percentage alien and a certain percentage human and, and they would, you know, reinsert or insert the fetus inside of my body, and because the aliens are so small um, and the fetuses are so small, a woman can carry um, a fetus around for months and not know it, and then when it gets to the point where, you know, it's getting big enough that the person's starting to notice it, um, they'll just re-abduct you, and then they take, the, uh, they take the fetus and they put it in a tank, and, and they grow it in a tank until it's... You know, well, I, I'm I'm always curious, like what kind of of um, what kind of mechanisms and or tools you know they employ for that sort of thing. I mean, is it laser like? Is it needles? Is it all sort? I mean, we always hear all these different uh, implements that I they'll use, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, do you have yeah, a I, sense of what kind of instruments were used? I don't think that any lasers were used. I think that just typical gynecological thing, you know 
metal instruments were probably used. I, like I said, it, with the damage that was done to me, um, it wasn't like they had some great technology for doing what they do, or maybe they do by now, but not 20 years ago they didn't. Uh, and, you know, they would... I just, you know, I have one experience, in, and this is what's uh, interesting about the hypnosis part of it for me. Um, not that it's actually about the hypnosis, but uh, I was I was on a table, and this was one of the, you know, more horrific um, experiences for me that I, I, I went to fill in with Yvonne. And I was on a table, and there were four aliens, and they were spreading my legs, and they brought this bottle up to my face, and it had an alien fetus in it, and this is my first conscious realization of what they were doing to me, and I was absolutely horrified, and I heard the the aliens telepathically discussing um, if it was male or female. I didn't know which it was, and there was a woman who was standing in the background behind my head. And she looked as terrified as I did, and she was holding a red rose. Now, I don't know what that was supposed to mean, but I, I suspect that they, they believed that a rose meant love or, you know, something like that. So, and maybe they thought that having another female human in the room would make it more tolerable for me. Right. So, um, so, that was, so that was that experience. Huh. Um, I went to Yvonne Smith, and and I got the details of that experience. So a few months, a few I don't know weeks or months or two later, I was at a MUFON meeting, and I believe I was speaking at that night. And she walked up to me, and she said, "When this is over, there's somebody I want you to meet. So don't leave." And I said, "Okay, fine." And there was a girl standing next to her with dark hair that just was staring at me with this this unbelievable expression. And I had no idea what this was about. And then she, uh, turns out after the meeting, she walked up to me and she introduced me to this woman. And she said that this woman came to her a few weeks after we did my regression with the uh, detail about the, you know, the woman standing with the rose while I was being implanted with the fetus. And she said, this woman told me the exact same story you told me, but from the other Point of view, huh. she was the woman holding. The, she was the woman holding the rose. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So you know that's how you. Was there any background of that? I mean, was there any background of that as to why she was holding the rose, standing there watching this procedure? I mean, no. Hmm. Not that okay. I know of. Um. And this this is strictly um, a question that I'm, I'm curious about, like your own perspective from, um, you know, when we're talking about Zeta Reticuli, I mean, we're, we're talking like 39 light years away from, from this planet, um, you know, and the technology that would have to be employed to get here, number one, it may be, as you said, something they naturally do, or it could be the result of technology, we just don't know. Does it seem absurd to you that uh, that kind of technology gets employed to get here or to arrive here, and then they use standard gynecological tools? I mean, I, I you would think they'd have a better way to go. You know what I mean? It just there seems to be like this complete breakdown of of logical, um, you know, progression in a box like that. Yeah, you would think so, but 
you know, look at what we're doing. We're creating clones and we're creating species right now here on this planet. And, you know, we can't get, we can barely get past the moon. So you right. can't be good at everything. So, we're, you know, we well. may be catching up with them. <laughs> Yeah, but we're not coming from Zeta Reticuli. Um, you know, I, I'm just curious because that seems to be like a, a pretty constant theme um, in, in a lot of experience reports is, you know, the the, the level of technology is, is just crazy. Um, their ability to – and you'll probably know what I mean when I say that they have uh, an amazing ability with light that that needles and all of this, you know, gross industrial reproductive crap would be going on. Um, if the, if the level of advancement was as great as it seems to be, I mean, I don't know. There just seems to be a real disconnect with that. So, so how how, how far back for you does this go? I mean, does this go all the way to childhood for you? I think it probably does. Um, I, you know, after after researching all this and all the years and. Um, I remember when I, I went to Yvonne the first time, she said, you know, w- once you get these little pieces put together, she goes, you're going you're gonna to look back on your life and things that you thought were very, very strange and very odd are suddenly going to make total sense. Mm-hmm. I remember her saying that, and I thought, hmm, I'm going to think back on my life on things that were bizarre. Now knowing what I know, if it all makes sense. And it did. I, I had experiences that... Um, I, that were so bizarre, and now I look back and I went, well, of course, that was just, that was one of their uh, virtual reality scenarios. Mm-hmm. I moved from Kansas City to the Midwest in my uh, early 20s, and I didn't come back for many, many years. And um, just a few years ago, I came back, and my older brother said, do you remember where we grew up, you know, over on Hardesty? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you know, we're pretty close to that. And he goes, let's drive by the old neighborhood. So when we did... We got to this old house where, you know, we used to live. It was new when we were there, but it was certainly old now. And and something struck me. And I said, you know what? I said, you know what, about my experiences. And I said, now that I'm here, I I have memories of a field. But I was only about five years old when I lived there. and and But I had memories of this field where I knew that I was taken from and where other children were taken from in that neighborhood. And I said... Just play with me here. I said, I, I want to drive around, and I think it's in that direction. I just want to see what's there now. So, you know, we went through these streets that, I, you know, I hadn't been on since I was five years old, and, it, you know, way further than I would have been able to walk on my own as a kid or be, been allowed to go as a kid. And so um, I drove down the street. I said, take a left, take a right, take a left, take a right. Right there, the field was still there in the middle of this neighborhood and a house had never been built on it and all these old growth trees were there and I said, that's the place. I remember that place. So just, you know, little experiences like that kind of make me think that if it is uh, generational, which, you know, a lot of people believe it is, it would make sense. Um, speaking of generational, um, who are you picking, mom or dad, as the uh, origin of this? Well, my dad died when I was 13, so mm-hmm. my mom has no recollection, but she has, like I, like I say, she has all the earmarks of somebody who has had contact. She has precognition and and just, you know, extrasensory perception, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she's just a little, you know, 
a little bit different. So how about it was mom? Right. <laughs> uh, how about <laughs> how about you as far as um, as far as uh, tangent phenomena like uh, ghosts or like you mentioned ESP or precog or anything like that? How much of that have you experienced within your life? All of it. All of it, all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember um, when I first heard about channeling, um, I read a book called Seth Speaks. And I, I read this book, and I went, this book is the first truth I've ever heard in my life. And I knew that channeling was real. I knew that you could contact other consciousness, and I knew that you could communicate with it with them. And so I started channeling, uh, studying channeling uh, for, for years and just loved it. What a wonderful experience. Um, I've had, I've seen almost every person in my life that's died has contacted me. Um, I've, you know, I have healing abilities. I, I don't, I, at one point I tried to develop them, but I said, life's too short. I want to be a photographer. Right. But, you know, I, I, I got, I got into Reiki for a little while. Uh, you know, I can touch a crystal and feel the energy come out, come out of it. Mm. Um, you know, I know when things are going to happen sometimes, but, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's just a result of contact or it's a result of me being part of the, you know, generations of upgrade. Right. Right. Uh, Can I ask if you don't mind what your, uh, what is your ancestral heritage? Uh, my mother's Cherokee. Okay. Interesting. Okay. And my father was pure Irish, O'Riggan. Yeah. Huh. Curious. I want to ask you a really <laughs> tough question, but I don't know if I should. <laughs> can, can I? May I? Well, um, this this isn't live, so we can always cut it out if it's too bad, huh? <laughs> All right. Um, you mentioned in your book that you were raped. Was Yes. Was how long... Before this started happening, did that happen? Oh, 10 years. No, well, maybe, let me see. When I was 20, 21. I was about 21 when I was raped, and I was about 28 when I started um, my conscious experiences. Um, did you, but but I, do, you know how many, do you know how many women are raped? Like one <laughs> every two minutes? Right. So, uh, you know, it, 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 you, you can't correlate those two things. Well, here's what the what correlation I want to make, because you had said that you weren't under stress. And what I would like to say to that is, you know, maybe that's a factor, you know, that issue. But also that you said in the book you were a photographer who you had like a 10-hour shoot and you came back and you were just exhausted and then you had this experience. So I would think that just being an artist with um, that sort of – uh, lifestyle would be stressful. Um, do you do you not that count that as stress? That that sort of just sort of lifestyle, uh, you know. And then also whatever repercussions you know mentally you might still have from the rape. You think that's putting things together that's that don't belong? Yeah, you are. That's nothing. Ten hour days is nothing. A typical a typical day in uh, Hollywood is a twelve twelve hour day, fourteen hour days. That's nothing. I worked my way through you know eight years of college you know, working two or three jobs. So by then working a 10 hour day was vacation. Mm-hmm. It, it had nothing, to, it, this has nothing to do with stress. This is a real phenomenon of other beings from another place coming and experimenting with us 
and hopefully for a good reason, to try to raise our consciousness and help us save the planet because God knows we are going in the wrong direction. So yeah, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Any... When I say stress, I don't, I don't mean to imply that that you're not, you know, you're experiencing some sort of hallucinatory phenomenon. Uh, I'm just right. saying that there's a correlation between the two, and we don't know why. You know, as as I, as I, George Hansen would say, I've "Why never... isn't a good question." I've never heard that. I've never heard a cor- of a correlation between stress and abduction. It's all over the place. Where do you... all over? But the place. all of your life, all of our. You, but you can ask any human being on the planet that's being abducted or not being abducted. Everybody's under stress. Mm-hmm. Our lives today are stressful. Well, we're also we, talking you know, about we're not, we're not just talking about normal daily stress. We're talking about. Uh, uh, monumental stress, times of upheaval in your life, uh, massive change, out of routine, um, that sort of thing. I mean, to give you an example, what we're talking about is, you know, uh-huh. the, the notion of you and Jeremy get married, you buy a house. It's a beautiful house in the country. You decide you're going to tear out uh, the living room and you're going to make it into a den. And so you start knocking walls out. And all of a sudden, one night, uh, you're on your way to bed, and you see a ghost in there walking around, uh, you know, so many feet off the floor, what have you. I mean, immediately, I think most people, at least that we've dealt with and, and the numerous people I've talked to through the years that study ghosts say, when you disturb the environment that the ghost is used to, it stirs up to activity. And uh, and what you find is, is it's not so much that as it is the notion that the house is now out of routine uh, the people within it are out of routine. We don't have a phenomena here to examine with our hands. We've got definitely people that we can interact with and discuss with and and interview uh, and kind of deviate from the standard forms to say, what was going on in your life that was a major change or, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, a lot of abductions around uh, – uh, around times of change, around times of loss of loved ones, um, uh, ch- loss of job, change of job. Um, there's there's more paranormal activity in apartment buildings and condos than standard homes. I mean, it, it's something we discovered not too long ago through George and, and in putting that into practice and asking around about different cases. You find out it's correlated pretty well that uh, that he's not off the mark on that. And that it basically it mm-hmm. has to do with structure and anti-structure that at least I think, you know, now he's going to say why isn't a good question. But I think the why, uh, at least the implication I'm getting, is that whatever this is, you can sort of block it out <laughs> if you don't perceive it, uh, you know, and, and maybe that there's a reason, for instance, that Native Americans who do not suffer the uh, problem of Western structure – um, seem to have a different relationship with, with this phenomenon than we do. And um, so, you know, I'm just wondering okay. if there, there's something okay. about modern society and the, the stresses of, you know, the ego self that we've built up that when something pierces that, like a, uh, you know, a stress in your life, you know, something pierces the facade of uh, your own control, if that's not a window through which we see these things or through which they come. Hmm. Very interesting concept. Now, are you saying this is across the board with abduction and ghosts? Are you paranormal? Paranormal? Paranormal activity in general. Let's let's throw paranormal a blanket down for that. Yeah. Huh. 
But I'm assuming when I say that, that you don't necessarily view UFOs and and this experience as paranormal, quote unquote, do you? Well, it's not normal. Paranormal. (laughs) It's so normal to, you know, it's so normal to me. It's not paranormal. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's probably very normal, but we're not taught about it and we don't talk about it. And then one day uh, it enters into the lives of someone we know and we have we have no way to integrate it mm-hmm. we don't we don't have the knowledge and so it's like you said it just might be normal native americans they they live with it the uh yeah a lot of different cultures and tribes it's so common to be in relationship with the star people that you know they wouldn't think that it was paranormal right right um, I, I'm curious, uh, Kim. So you you genuinely see this as actual flesh and blood aliens in craft um, coming here from somewhere else? Is is that correct? Is that am I right on the mark there? Or? Yes, I, I talk about it all the time. I during one of my abductions, my thumb slipped into the mouth of one of the aliens, and it was wet, and I could feel the palate, and uh-huh. it was a physical being. And at that moment. It just the the oddness of the experience when they were picking me up when my thumb slipped into his mouth, it just opened up this floodgate of love that this entity had for me uh-huh. that I've never felt before. So hmm. they are they're physical, they're non physical. We're probably physical and non physical. You know, where do we go? Don't we all leave our bodies at night and float around the universe? <laughs> And well, if, I, if I hope we not. Bit, uh, <laughs> if we were a little bit more conscious, we could, you know, a lot of people consciously leave their body and move around in spirit. So maybe they're well, all of the above, and maybe we are all of the above. What well, What would you say? Um, or, or I would. Well, let's put it to you this way: How do you reconcile that? Um, to date. We don't really have any conclusive evidential proof that we could take to science or we could take to, hell, the grocery store in the corner and show people. Well, you know, I tell people every day, it's like, you know, you can't, it's just, you can't prove it. They come from another dimension. Mm -hmm. So, and when we go there, we go to another dimension. It's not the same physical dimension. So we're not going to be able to bring back the evidence. And if there's, if there's any evidence at all, you know, you've probably heard of uh, Dr. Dr. Lear, who tries to remove alien implants, and there seem to be quite a few of those around. Um, right. None of which have proved but, anything, but that's okay. Go ahead. Well, it's... <laughs> it's like one I dead mean, end well, after dead end. Well, okay, so so love love doesn't exist. Does it? Sure it does. You can't prove it. Right. Say, you know, people go, oh, telepathy. There's no such thing as telepathy. And yet, just about every person of faith on the planet prays to God every night. What is that? So, you know, it's just this contradiction. Kim, when you said something about proving love, love is invisible, we can't. But at the same time, love is not the sort of thing that comes into your room at night and drags you out the door kicking and screaming to have alien children either. Um, you know, yeah. I, I mean, by that token, I could say my son is evidential proof of my love with my wife. So. Um, right. Uh, but but um, uh, you know, I don't disagree with you when you when you say that it you know, that that evidential proof might not be possible to exist here. I've thought that for a while. It, it just you know it's one of those things where everybody tries to associate, for for instance, Doctor Lear's implants with actual implants made by 
someone else to. And none of this has ever like panned out to any enormous degree of anything. Um, And we're kind of always left with that dangling carrot uh, routine where you're chasing evidential proof of something or you're chasing experience to experience more or to know more or to be able to stand more. Uh, I mean, do you find that to be something that holds true for you that you're constantly fighting to try and understand more or to stand more of it? I'm constantly trying to understand more of it. I know that it's not provable, so I don't try to prove it. I leave it, you know, that for the people that want to try to prove the unprovable. Right. So, uh, you know, they, and I know that they go out and they try to, you know, take pictures of burn marks where UFOs supposedly have landed. And I don't know. I saw Dr. Lear's last uh, presentation not just a few months ago, and it's pretty profound. Mm-hmm. Some some of the implications of the materials found in these implants. So I don't know. You take a really really good look at what he's doing and and the materials yeah, and the combinations <laughs> of those. Right. So you know that's that's as close as we're going to get. Yeah. Um, it's until so they decide they want us to know they're here in mass. And, and as long as the government keeps it covered up, whatever they evidence they have, I don't have hope for anybody proving anything. Mm-hmm. I do have hope for disclosure. I, I do have hope that, uh, you know, enough people will come forward and, and, you know, people that know things, part of our, you know, dark government societies will eventually stop, stop hiding the truth. But, um, like I said, they when they want it, when they want us to know, they'll show up and they, they'll show up in force. And I've seen lots of visions of them showing up in force. And uh, you know, but maybe if we take care of the earth, they won't have to, and they can, you know, leave, leave us to be who we are. Or maybe we'll we'll wake up and be able to participate in this multi dimensional universe with all of these other species on a conscious basis. I don't know. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if we could have face-to-face contact with an interdimensional being. Mm-hmm. So, Let me ask you one more you question go. about your, your take on your experiences. Um, how do you rectify sort of the terror in feeling and, and feeling like a puppy mill with the, uh, the oneness and the spirituality aspect of it? What, how do those go together for you? It's just the duality of life, the yin and yang of life. It happens in most relationships. It happens in most aspects of of just being being here. So it's no different. Um, well, if, if you and I were to get least, married and, and least, have a house, I wouldn't use you as a puppy mill. Just to use well, Jeff's example of us getting married. I mean, it doesn't really happen in life that, that people just sort of use you as a puppy mill and uh, and then you feel good about it. Well, I'm not saying there's anything usual about this, but I'm saying that when I was introduced to my daughter, April, she was so beautiful, and I had so much love for her. And when I saw the pride that the aliens had when they presented her to me, you know, they say that the, the greys aren't emotional, and that's completely untrue. They're very emotional. It just they don't, they don't express it the same way, and it takes a lot to get it out of them. And when they showed me my, my first little daughter when she was two, um, the pride just, you know, filled the room. You know, isn't she a beautiful baby? And, and I could see that they were, you know, trying to do something positive. They're trying to upgrade the human race to create you know, one that's 
intelligent enough to not destroy the planet or whatever planet that they go to next. So does the ends justify the means? Right. I don't know. I, I think it, in this case, maybe it does. I oh, know that right. I have beautiful hybrid children there. Um, and you, you have um, human children, right, as well? I, I sh- no human children, no. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought you had... Well, shoot. How many hybrid children do you have? Do you know? I don't know. You know, there are two or three little girls I know of. My daughter, April, I know the most. I saw her when she was 13. That's the oldest that I've ever seen any of them. Did they name her uh, April or did you? I don't know. I just always knew her name was April. Huh. don't know how it came about. get that question a lot. <laughs> well, uh, do you want to give us your website and tell us um, whatever we need to know about your book in terms of ordering it? Is this in bookstores? Is this something you'd rather people buy directly from you? It is not available in the bookstores. I'm self-publishing, and I'm I'm so glad I did because it kept the price down for for what it is. Like I said, it's a three hundred over three hundred fifty pages of four color, you know, brilliant art and stories. It weighs three and a half pounds, and it's only nine and nine and a half by eight, so it's a landscape book. Um, you know, nor- normally a book like that would be seventy eighty bucks in the store, but I've gotten the price down to thirty four ninety five. And you can buy it on my website and pre-sales now at theartofcloseencounters.com. Um, I'll be p- picking the books up in in California in about three or four weeks. So I, I'm looking at my, you know, in time for Christmas. So if you want it, I'm working real hard to get everybody's <laughs> the, uh, the book under the Christmas tree or Hanukkah. Very good. Or, <laughs> or Kwanzaa. <laughs> exactly. Let's not forget Kwanzaa. Uh, well, Kim Carlsberg, thank you very much for coming on the show and braving the questions, and I hope you do well with the book. Well, thank you very much, you guys. I enjoyed it, and and you're you're very interesting, and you've asked some tough questions, and it's always fun to get tough questions. So if you ever want to do it again, give me a call. Very good. Thank you. Take thanks, care. Kim. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Mitch Horowitz, the author of Occult America, and you are listening to Paratopia. So the Jeff. So the Jer. You know, this is the kind of thing where we're in an interesting position of knowing that our listeners know probably what we think of what we just heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no words. I mean, I don't doubt that she's had some kind of experience before, but it exemplifies everything that's wrong, I think, about <laughs> About relating the experience, you know? Well, it's real simple. It's there. It's a hybridization program. It's, it's just real cut and dry. That part just, oh, it's like, come on now, please. Let's, please, come on. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I don't understand the lack of introspection about all of this, which then leads to um, a conflicting result of, on the one hand, I mean, if you just flip through a book, you know, not a not a flip goes by where you don't see the word terror or, you know, something just fearful and awful and terrible. You know, puppy mill, she says, she felt like, you know, right. but then and then says it's cut and dry. This is all about that. But then on the other hand, 
you know, we are one, you are, you, we are you, you are us, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, how do you, there it is. how do you put those together? Well, I guess if you don't think about it, you don't. It sounds like, and this is no offense to Kim Carlsberg, but I'm just telling you what, what I heard here. She hasn't really thought about her experiences in any meaningful way that I can decipher. Well, and Lee would to say? say to, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's taken at face value, uh, essentially. And so you never move past that point. And I think this would be a perfect case where Lee would say, and I would say together that back in the day when we heard stories like this or accounts like this, we would say that's surface level experiences and that the experience is multi-leveled and there are many different ways in which it's perceived. Her way in which it's perceived to her uh, seems totally real, but there's a point where you've got to go, and now that's not it. That was the part of communion that we always kind of laugh about. You know, that's not it. I know that's not what you brought me out of here for. That ain't it. There's something else underneath of there. And that's kind of that's kind of where I approach this and say, that's a surface level experience. That's totally the dog and pony show. And I, I think there's a just listening to her speak. I think there's probably a good dose of just pure out cultural contamination from that. Um, I mean, when she went to see Yvonne to, to be regressed, she already had the the layout in her in her head of what the experience is, and so Yvonne didn't have to lead her. Well, everything, that's, you know, she said everything came very easily. Of course, it came very easily. That's one of the things that that I read in the book actually is that Yvonne told her to stop reading any of the new UFO literature that comes out so as not to contaminate herself. A little late. <laughs> yeah, a little late. And then Yvonne tells her later that she said during this conversation, uh, well, now you're going to go back and look at events that happened in your life and they're going to make sense to you. All these earlier odd things that you're going to start to see a pattern here and it's going to make sense in this context. I mean, you don't need to say that under hypnosis. You just need to say that. <laughs> right. That coupled with um we don't know where a lot of these memories come from. Are they I mean in the book she says that she remembers a lot of this stuff outright. Actually she says I remember all of it outright and then like a couple of pages later mm -hmm. she says I've had hypnosis. So which is it? And then says that the hypnosis basically drudged up uh some really terrible things or terrifying things. Mm -hmm. Um well, did it create those terrifying things or did it drudge them up? You know, did you fill in the blanks with the wrong things? We can't we can't know the answer to that. Right. Um, but it's just something to keep in mind. Uh, it just bothers me how she doesn't want to keep that in mind, like adamantly refuses to keep that in mind. Well, and maybe part of it is that she didn't know where we were coming from. If we were debunkers, I mean, she probably doesn't. Well, she does know we're experiencers, right? She, she knows, yeah, of course, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to make of of that aspect of the interview where it seemed like this sort of nervous cautiousness, like, but then she hadn't heard any of the trickster stuff or any, you know, the George Hansen stuff. So maybe right. she didn't get our angle on that initially. And if she had, maybe it would have been a different conversation, but something tells me it, it probably wouldn't have. Well, yeah. I mean, as I said, I think that she's kind of, and this is this is what interests me in this, and I I do I do get somewhat agitated about it, but I you know I I can't let myself get agitated by it because it is the reaction of a person to this phenomena, and everybody views it in a different way. Everybody has a different way, and I would say, at least for my money, in talking to her, 
she seems to have fully have assimilated this into her life. And maybe that is where the don't question it. It is what it is. It's very cut and dry. I mean, she said words to this effect. I'm not putting words in her mouth. It's very simple. It's this, you know, and, and so ultimately that's how she feels. She has a handle on it. Do I think it's correct? No, I don't. For all of the reasons we've talked about for two years on this show, <laughs> you know, well, yeah, uh, and, you know, we've never really dealt with me lab stuff, which is the military abduction, Right. You know, alleged military abduction. And so I've never, you know, spoken at length even with anyone who believes that they were abducted by the military. But I got to tell oh, you, I <laughs> what, I, what I heard here sounded de- delusional or sounded just not, yeah. not correct. I mean, yeah. it, it's the same sort of nonsensical uh, sort of thing as you were talking about with the instruments. Like, why would they have the technology to come here? Uh, right, it's absurd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's absurd. I, I, I mean, what is the military? What do they think they're going to get from her? That, like I said, like they're not going to get from the alien sitting. The right alien there. is sitting right there. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I I have known people with uh, military abduction experiences, and I would say a good portion of them seem a lot like uh, Kim in her in her outlook at, at this. Um. Very surface level, very um, almost cloak and dagger like that sort of thing. I mean, and I got to be honest, and I and again, this is not. I don't want to seem like I'm being nasty here, but I'm looking at Kim's books on Amazon.com, and you've got Beyond My Wildest Dreams. It's dated on Amazon. I'm looking at the date July one, uh, 1995, May first, 1996. She put out contact cards, an extraterrestrial divination system. Can I read the description for this? Sure. Divination systems are tools for accessing knowledge that are beyond the ordinary sensory abilities of human beings. Contact cards, an extraterrestrial divination system, is a specific conduit for extraterrestrial information. With this system, anyone can benefit from the knowledge and experiences of alien beings. The draw of a contact card initiates the exploration of intergalactic energies, planets, stars, crop circles, and starships, while the text indicates how they function as reflective guides for earthly sojourns. For voyagers seeking universal understanding, interaction with the contact cards expands the awareness of inner as well as outer space. Midwest Book Review. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, but I, I and, and this is, again, this is not, I, I'm not trying to be nasty. I'm not. But it seems like there's an effort to sell here. You know, there's a selling thing here. We're charging for a podcast that we're working for. She's done books that she's worked for. There's nothing wrong with that on the surface level. But when you're talking about something like this that is just so unfounded and so, like, hokey to me, it it almost is marginalizing her experiences, you know, which to her seem important or must be important enough for her to do that. Why? What is this? I mean, why this? You know what I mean? Uh, it just that, that just seems to soil it for me right there. Well, she has a quote in her book from Bashar. And the quote is basically, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's basically saying uh, it's not what you 
You know, it's not what you get in life. It's what you do with it. You know, it's like some vague general truism like that, that anyone okay. can come up with. But it's a quote from Bashar. And that was a warning sign to me because Bashar is, I don't know if you've ever seen him, but he is no. uh, the channeled alien entity that comes through. I don't even know who the real human is, but he talks like this. You know, he talks like, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> you humans need to. I mean, oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, warning, (sighs) warning, Doctor Smith. I I don't know it. I I can't. um, I I just I can't. (laughs) I can't. I, I believe she's had experiences. I think she just has her own way of dealing and assimilating those spirit those experiences into something that she can that she can handle that she can integrate. Yeah, and this is her way of doing that. And there's nothing realistic. wrong with that, you know? I mean, there was some stuff in there that, that you know, even in her book, that rings true in some way. Yeah. Um, but I also don't think, like I said, I think there's no introspection. You know, when you're raped, <laughs> you know, I assume there's going to be a little bit of counseling you're going to do. And it's probably not going to be something you get over in 10 years. Um, I could be wrong about that. I don't know. But... Uh, you couple that with, I mean, a lot of the stuff in her book is about, I mean, her schedule reminds me of your schedule. Like I'm up mm-hmm. really late working on stuff and then I go to bed exhausted and then, right. uh, you know, stressed out about that, stressed out about the fact that she's not where she wants to be. Like she talks about being on the set of, uh, I think it was Big Top Peewee. She was uh, the photographer's okay. assistant and seeing the, the photographer basically running her around like a slave and then riding off in a limo. And this really oh. pissed her off, and she really wanted to be that person. She didn't want to be the slave. She wanted to be the master. Right. Um, so I think when you have that sort of like, oh, I can't stand my job. I so am not the person I want to be, mm-hmm. coupled with the exhaustion, coupled with whatever other things that you're not dealing with or, or you know, can't fully get over or whatever. I mean, I shouldn't even put that on the rape because I don't know how she's dealt with that. Perhaps she went to years and years of therapy. I don't know. But it just seems that there's something there to look at in terms of a stress level that might pierce the veil uh, and create the situation in her life. Yeah, I you know I don't I don't see that being out of line thinking that way. I also don't think it's out of the line to think that. Uh, I mean, for instance, we talked about um, her gynecological issue when she went to get diagnosed. Now I don't have the page up to to remember what that affliction was my wife would know it immediately because i went out and said to her have you ever heard of this and uh and lisa's like sure and i was like do you know what that means she goes every woman knows what that means of course and she rattled off what it meant and and i said kim didn't know what that meant she's like how can she not know what that meant so (laughs) i mean i don't know it's apparently exceedingly common well i mean Uh, i find it odd that that you know your gynecologist or your doctor not knowing any of this stuff about you would diagnose you and know what you have. I mean, it's not like, it doesn't sound like any of them were shocked and were like, Oh my God, what is this? They told her, Oh, this is, you've got this. And then she never said, but I've been having things taken from me by aliens. Are you sure it couldn't be that? Or, you know what I mean? There was no sense of like doctors saying, wow, you've got some real tissue and scar damage here. How did this happen? Yeah. You've been putting anything in there. 
that sort of thing. I mean, that's what the doctor said to me when I, I went for my belly button and I had the three, you know, holes inside of my navel. He says, what have you been sticking in there? <laughs> I haven't been sticking anything in there. What's wrong with you? Why would I do that? And he says, well, it looks like you've been like, like something pronged has been stuck in there. I would think that an, a gynecological exam would say, you look like you've had some kind of implement uh, that's literally scraped the walls of your uterus or something like that. You would think there would be something like that. But again, it's not that. It comes up as something with an M. I can't remember what it was now. It's terrible. Um, but apparently that's very common. And here's the funny thing is one of the causes of that ailment that I read uh, just minutes ago on the screen was not having children can cause this. Hmm. I thought that was interesting. And she has no children. Well, no human children. You right. Know? Uh, and so. April. Uh, right. And so I, you know, I look at that and I go, uh, I mean, and I'm, again, I'm not a psychologist, but is there lasting damage from uh, the horrible thing that was done to her by a human, a horrible human being? Uh, you know, was something done there, and and so there's some kind of repression towards a family and a, and and children and all that that is related to her attack, which is unfortunate as hell. But is that what that is? Is there some connection there with that? Who knows? Who knows? We're we're not psychologists, and um, uh, but I believe she's had very legitimate experiences. I just don't think that it's like you said. It's not examined close enough. It's not. It's just accepted at face value. Well, there's another problem, and even in her book, you know, it's called Beyond My Wildest Dreams, but she starts mm -hmm. off saying, I call these dreams, but I don't mean they're dreams like dream dreams. These are, you know, interplanetary or whatever, interdimensional mm -hmm. dreams. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she's not discerning between reality and dreams, really. I mean, we're supposed to just trust that that she can discern between a dream dream Mm -hmm. and some sort of communication coming through a dream or some sort of, I don't know, out of body or uh, other. Uh, well, uh, here's the thing. Would she even say, I wonder, um, that she was in another state of mind? I mean, would she mm -hmm. even say that about these dreams, that it was an altered state of mind? Uh, I wonder. Probably not. I'll take a guess. Probably not. Probably not. Um I mean, I thought about asking her about the notion of the surrealistic environment or the surrealistic notion of that, but that's kind of regulated to her virtual reality thing. Uh, I think that was where I think the surreal environment or the altered perception would be. I think that's what she's getting at there is that the vir virtual reality provided by the aliens of whatever – was the altered state of consciousness, was the altered perceptions, and therefore would be the highly strange, surreal environmental effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I guess I can't also make sense of interdimensional beings, but from Zeta Reticuli, <laughs> with the caveat that they're from a star system. <laughs> right, well, universe. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, it kind of goes by the wayside if you're talking about traveling what did I say, 39, 39, uh, well, however many light years away this thing is. Um, 
you know, if they're if they're making shuttle trips, chances are exceeding the speed of light, then okay, they're extra dimensional just by the sake of that alone. But uh, you know, again, I don't I'm not I'm not a subscriber to that theorem, so I don't I don't see that. Um and I think we know well enough now that zeta reticuli was pretty much and you know, synthesized by Betty and Barney Hill's case. That's where that Zeta Reticuli connection came from. Am I wrong about that, Jeremy? I mean, um, it's the first time I remember hearing of that uh, was Betty and Barney Hill. I could be wrong. It could be. I mean, it could have also come from the contactees. I don't know. Yeah, that's possible too. But at any rate, I mean, that's a, that's not an uncommon place. And so if she's been reading UFO literature you know, that that easily could have been skipped over and subliminally put in there. And the whole thing of Z, Z-E, that whole, that mm-hmm. seems like really <laughs> to me, that doesn't, something doesn't seem right about that to me. I don't know what it would be, but something doesn't seem right. You know, why why spell it out like that? They clearly know the intelligence level. Why not just say Zeta Reticuli? <laughs> why why yeah. why do a cheerleading squad you know z i mean why why that just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me that sounds hypnopompic to me or hypnagogic you know and why would the military be working with beings who believe in oneness and and all of that I, I, you know like that whole i i still can't get over that military connection i'm not certain how people put that together in their heads that that there are, is this race of beings that believe we're all one, we are you, you are us, that whole thing. But there's this nefarious, evil government entity keeping the truth from us, but somehow working with these, you know, presumably <laughs> benevolent in the end beings who care about our planet and the environment. But the evil government doesn't care about the planet and the environment, right? They're the ones destroying it. Right. So right. how is the good and the evil working together? <laughs> you know, it's and why are we the evil and they're the good? You know, all that stuff. And like they're good, but well, they're they care about the environment, <laughs> but not your own personal vaginal ecology. I mean, that just doesn't make sense to right. me. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what stuck out to me about that that whole scenario there was uh the malformed alien. You're coming from Zeta Reticuli, multidimensional, able to do all these amazing technological things. And you can't breed, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> it's just absurd on the face of it to me. I mean, I, I just I can't I can't accept that as any kind of of any kind of validity to that. I just can't. It just doesn't. It makes no sense. Right at face level, it doesn't make any sense. And we're talking about surface level recall experience. Doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, when I was trying to tell her, you know, how far in advance do you think they are? Um, what would you say their technology is in comparison to our own? How far ahead? Then don't you find it strange that they're using, you know, forceps and you know common, you know, gynecological tools in order to do this? It, it that's just that's the disconnect for me. I'm like, you see, it doesn't jive. Something's not normal here. They should be able to float that thing up in you, <laughs> not forceps. <laughs> You know, I mean, I mean, really, I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, there's, if you've got that kind of technology, you think you're going to use these, you know, 
masochistic carnal tools to do the job, I just ain't seeing it. Well, and also, I mean, again, how long do you think these beings have been around? How long are they taking to do this this procedure? I mean, they, they've already they're already they've already taken longer in their hybrid program than we would need to, I think, in terms of implanting fetuses in women and right. and all of that. I mean, I, I just don't see that we would even need to do it for this many decades. And you know, if what if there is no such thing as time, and they've been here forever, and, and all of that, then uh, why would they need to present you with a rose because they don't understand what love is? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like all that. Like, haven't they figured out? Especially if you're going to say that the Greys have emotions, then haven't they figured out our emotions? Don't they have similar emotions? Don't you know? All of that stuff is like it's just nonsense. Um, well, I mean, a lot of things threw up red flags to me. Like you, you mentioned the red, red rose. I mean, she goes to a MUFON meeting, sees a woman. The woman is described to her as having the exact same experience from the other end. She's the one up against the wall holding the rose watching this procedure. And when I asked her, well, what was her story? What? How did she get there to be holding the rose? And what was the backstory on that? She didn't know. Isn't that something you would ask? Yeah. I mean, like, immediate, okay, well, what happened? How did you arrive at that place? That's like, why would you not find that out? I mean, that seems rather important. Well, this is the thing that gets me, I, I, and maybe this is what we're getting at here. Um, yeah, is that she seems to say, oh, I know. I know what they're doing. It's all very simple, and yet it's not very simple. And yet when you ask what are the mechanics, there's no answer. Like, even when you right. say, well— what did they do to you? Well, it's very simple. They impregnated me and they took it out and then they put it in a jar or whatever. I mean, she said the basics of like what they did, you know, well, it's simple. They created a hybrid. Oh, well, how did they simply do that? What was the mechanism? What was, what did it feel like? What did, what happened during that? What they put in you? What did they take out of you? Right. You know, there's no, is there no curiosity as to what actually happened beyond just going, it's simple. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I guess it's sort of like, I'll tell you, it angers me a little, because if this is true, if this is truly happening to her, um, and as with any experiencer, I would say, um, it just bothers me that there is that lack of curiosity in the most amazing, like, fundamentally world-changing thing that could happen to you, you know, maybe apart from, like, God coming down from the heavens. It's like God coming down from the heavens and aliens. Like, that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? And like, so for to have right. this in your life and to just be like, oh, like so nonchalant or to pretend that, you know, oh, I know what that is and not ask questions to me is like a crime almost. Yeah. That's just my own yeah. personal feeling. I mean, no, you know, nobody else has to share that with me. It's just me personally. I don't get how you have. Again, uh, just something that should rock the foundation of who you are, and it's uninteresting, or you feel like you you got a handle on it. Well, I'll give you my feeling. It feels to me like the air of mystery has to be kept. The air of en- the enigmatic has to stay in there in order to keep people interested in it. <laughs> you know, I'm going from the opposite side of, you know not asking the questions to deliberately not asking the questions. Um, And I don't necessarily mean to imply that there's deception going on, but, you know, that is an important point that, you know, you, you, 
you have the story all worked out. You've got the dialogue worked out. You've got all of the, the pieces in place for a story. And yet the story's not telling you anything. And therefore there's the air of mystery in it. And therefore that keeps people interested in it. And the other half of it is it, that it reminds me of <clears throat> just like she talked about channeling uh, and, and how this was this wonderful experience and blah, blah, blah. What the hell has ever come out of channeling that's been amazing? Answer, Jer? Nothing. Thank you. Nothing. And so when you're talking about you know, an account like this where clearly something's going on, um, and it's it's kind of put into this neat little package with a bow. It, it's still to me about not the thing. It's not addressing the thing, and that's where I see the crime is that it's packaged, and then there it is. And I know what this is, and here it is. And she's very adamant about it because that's her experience. We can't negate her experience, but we've heard this before, over and over and over. We've heard almost identical this same type of thing. Uh, just on our travels around the net and at conventions and all that sort of, you hear that same sort of dialogue and 99.9% of the time it comes from women. Uh, not just because women have, women have vaginas, but, uh, I, I don't mean it in that sense, but you know, no men are having hybrid children, but still, even still that same in reverse to the male side of the coin. Um, we hear that same sort of thing over and over. And it's this very surface level, x-file like story um i mean i i had to shake my head when she was talking about the high back chairs she's talking about fart chairs you realize that right <laughs> that's what she's talking about she's talking about those kind of chairs and where have we seen those time those kinds of chairs before well in just about every movie where they're talking to a high-ranking government official that's what you see in their office when they're sitting gomer pile when he went to see the colonel of the base, he's sitting in one of those chairs. I mean, this is a typical, you know, to me, screen-type memory. There's something else going on inside there that is not happening, and so the mind fills in the blanks with what it knows or what it thinks it's attributing something to. Maybe that's it. Who knows? I mean, who knows? It's – uh um, I just, you know, I, I, she, she has very different beliefs from you and I, and, um, I, I respect her, her forthrightness, uh, of being as public about it as she is. Uh, but I'm just not, uh, I, I don't for a second think that, that this is anything more than surface level or dare I say delusional, uh, at some point, I don't know, because again, like most of the paranormal, there's no, empirical proof to say this is going on you know we can't we don't have pictures of her uterus to look at and go hmm look at that look at that and let's see this and what else could do i mean you know it's it's all experiential so we didn't even get to ask her about shared experiences like someone with you at the time of this Hmm. Uh, i'm not sure is there anything in her book like that that she was with someone when something happened and they were taken together or um, so, I don't remember from from when I read it. It was long ago, and I just skimmed through the first few chapters uh, today. Right, um, and there was nothing in those. But that's not to say that there was nothing. But it, most of her stuff, if not all of it, is mm-hmm. at nighttime when she's asleep. <laughs> you right. know, like what do you do with that? 
Yeah. I want to go back to the channel thing for a second. I want to put this challenge out to anyone in the New Age circuit or uh, even to, to Kim, who has met, had mentioned channeling and, and all this. What have any of these beings told you, channeled, alien or otherwise, that you couldn't know yourself? Nothing. Even that quote right. from Bashar, did you need... Did you need... In fact, let me get that quote. Hold on one second. Let me make my point right now. So right here in page 30 of Beyond My Wildest Dreams, Diary of a UFO Abductee, uh, she has a quote from Bashar. And I quote, It's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens. And I'm sure when that was spoken, it was, It's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens. I'm <laughs> certain that's the way that was spoken. Okay. Did an alien from another star system or another dimension need to channel its way through a human being for that nugget of wisdom? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. And that's not an exaggeration, that voice I just did. I don't know if you've ever heard this guy. I haven't, no. Okay. I'm not, I don't stay as far away from that crap as possible. I mean, to me, that's the, that's the ultimate garbage uh, in all this. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, again, I, I'll put the challenge out there. You show me any channeled or alien information that you couldn't think of yourself. Mm. Uh, you know, let's just, come on, people, let's, let's get it together here. Let's go a little deeper. And actually, I'd like to hear from listeners on this, because I know that a lot of listeners say, you know, they don't necessarily agree with, with our position on this stuff, and some of them do uh, buy into the what, what we're referring to as the surface of this phenomenon. What do you think, having heard Kim Carlsberg, if you just take away our our editorial, um, does it make sense to you having heard it from someone as opposed to reading it in a book? Mm. Because I think when you read it in a book, it's easy to glance over and go, yeah, this makes some sort of logical sense. Yeah. Um, but when you hear it out loud and you hear it, you know, the nonsensical parts being challenged, I think then it falls apart. <laughs> right, right. You know? Well, and and... and- you know what? In, in as much uh, admiration as I have for Kim in really getting behind Emma and and her come out of, of all of that, at the same time, I just found myself shaking my head when she starts talking about hypnosis. And we explained to her about hypnosis and we, oh, well, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, there's no answer. You notice that there was like no answer to that. It was just like, well, you know, I didn't felt, I didn't feel, you know, I didn't this and I feel it's a valuable tool and but really after God, I mean, just look around, just look around for Christ's sakes. I, I think that was amazing to me that she would go, hmm, well, I'm going to have to look into that. <laughs> no, there was none of that. It was, well, I found it to be very valuable and Yvonne was wonderful with me. Buh. Yeah. Yeah. When, present, when presented with new information. <laughs> Uh, defend territory at all costs. <laughs> yeah. Well, that there's the belief system. And see, this is what so many people do. It becomes their belief system, and you challenge that. And and you could see she was definitely getting defensive at a couple of points there, as as we were, you know, being the ones without belief system. <laughs> it goes both ways, I guess. I mean, y- you become offended when people question your beliefs, and at the same time, the beliefs of other people can be offensive when they're not making any kind of sense. They're just kind of put out there and uh, you look and you see it as a pollutant of sort. 
So I don't know. I I, I just I, I it was it was hard. It was a it was a hard interview to me. But now next week's show will not be a hard interview. <laughs> will be amazing. It will be speak of in my wildest dreams. Oh yeah, there's <laughs> there's the dream wildest interview. dreams. Yes. Man, are you folks ever going to be glad that you have subscribed for a month because Yeah. We've got some fantastic shows coming up. Jacques Vallée, as you already know. Um, and then following that, Whitley Strieber returns to talk about some possibilities as far as abduction research goes. You know, what we could do instead of mm. hypnosis, instead of some of these things that we're seeing no results from um, or nice. ill results from. Right. So that's, I mean, is it like sweeps week? We've got like back-to-back awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, and I'm currently, uh, it doesn't end there, but I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, do we want to give away well, too much? No, there's another one that's, well, well started out as one and now it's morphed into two guests, uh, that will be coming on, uh, soon. I've been working on one of them for a month and he just, uh, pretty much said, well, we kind of do, uh, these things together. So it's two men that will be coming on to discuss one of the most fascinating UFO cases ever. Uh, and they were major parts of it. So uh, I don't want to jinx anything, but we're in talks for that, and that that date should be coming up rather quickly as well. So there's a lot of good stuff coming up. Um, Indeed, and we still have to do the Nick Redfern interview on final events, which we've been wanting to do for the better part of two years now, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so Nick's going to be on soon too. Yeah, it's just that we wanted to read the book before we uh, do the interview, so. Yeah, yeah. So... Next week, Jacques Vallée will be on the show to talk about his new book, Wonders in the Sky. So that's next week, Wonders in the Sky, Jacques Vallée. Uh, But for this week, I would like to thank Kim Carlsberg. It was not an easy interview, I believe, for her either. Um, No. Because I think she um, was probably nervous about our questions and about where we were coming from with this stuff. So... I'd like to thank her for for not hanging up, for for sticking yes. it out, um, yes. and for being thank a gracious you, guest. Absolutely, yes. thank um, you very much. So once again, Jack Valet next week, and we will see you on the other side. Dun dun dun. Yeah, or something less dramatic. Good night. Paratopia. It's Jeremy. You know, um, last weekend I went to visit Jeff and we went to Gettysburg um, to ghost hunt and to speak to Mark Nesbitt and to, you know, we we just hung up for Halloween. Um, And most of that stuff uh, will be, for you subscribers, um, you know, put into a short film or two on the website. But there is something that happened that we didn't cover on film that we forgot to talk about here. And since I've got an extra few minutes here, I might as well throw it out there just because it's weird. (laughs) Uh, We went to Gettysburg. Like I said, we went ghost hunting and nobody really felt anything, right? We didn't, at some point, um, Jeff's son and I both heard music coming from some distant grove. And then I heard music a little bit later into the walk, but still it didn't get my hackles up. Nobody, as I say, felt any sort of presence or anything. 
and we made our way to, I believe it's Spangler Spring, and Jeff will correct me if I'm wrong on a future episode, uh, but it, it was the place where when last we went, you know, my meditation energy went crazy and just sort of walked me out to this tree line and started, you know, doing maneuvers, and I felt as if I were surrounded by people and all of that. Well, none of that happened this time. I tried to actually find that tree line, and I uh, couldn't find, I couldn't remember exactly where where it was, so I didn't quite make it, but I went out to be alone by the trees, and I let the meditation energy go. It didn't impulsively, you know, try to jar me into taking over. I just uh, let it go myself. And it was fairly unspectacular, except for pretty... I don't even know how to describe this. Pretty soon into letting it go, I saw what looked like almost a two-dimensional, I don't know, uh, shape the size of a goose with the flight characteristics of maybe a butterfly. Perhaps it was a bat? I don't know. But it swooped right by me, went um, by my right side, and then probably unrelated to that, you know, within minutes, I see a little light, um, like a, a just a prick of light on the ground or by the ground I don't know what these are but but at the battlefield site on uh, every now and then you, you see on the ground these sort of I don't know planks or something covering what must be a hole of some sort I don't know what they're for but this light was over near um, one of these on the ground and it's pitch black out there's no there's no anything going on to, to even see a light uh, I don't have a flashlight on at the time Meditation energy walks me over toward the light, and I stand next to... I mean, it's disappeared by the time I get over there, but I'm standing next to where it was, not exactly, like, on top of it. And um, meditation energy is making me walk around just sort of in place in a circle, looking up at the sky. So it was, like, not even interested in whatever was around me necessarily, but sort of looking around at the stars, and that's never happened before because it just kept doing it, you know, sort of obsessively over and over again, just walking in a circle looking at the stars. Um, but at some point it stopped, and I'm looking at um, the tree line, and I see that black shape again, um, and it comes... So the first time I saw it, it was swooping at me and flew by my right side. Uh, and this time it swooped in front of my eyes, you know, horizontally in front of me. And like I said, it fluttered like like a butterfly, but it was huge and it was black and it looked like just like black construction paper. You know, like if you were to carve out an animal in the, you know, out of black construction paper, roughly and have it go and flutter about. It did that, and then it, you know, just completely disappeared. I mean, it, it poof, vanished right before my eyes. It didn't, didn't like, fly out of sight. It just disappeared. Um, and it was so just unbelievably big and jarring that I actually, um, I actually said out loud, you know, something like, holy shit, you know, like, oh my god, like, what is that? Um, and I didn't mention it on the uh, on any of the video stuff we were doing, I don't think, because, you know, I don't know if someone were next to me, would they have seen it? This is always the question with the meditation energy. Would anyone next to me have seen it, or 
Is it something where my perception changes and I can see more of what's there? Or, you know, something along those lines. Um, I don't know. But this actually did strike me as something that you would have seen if you were next to me. <laughs> I mean, it really did seem like, but then don't they all? I don't know. So, I don't know. It's weird. Has anyone ever experienced anything like that? Some sort of... I guess it's really the thing that, that's jarring about it is the dimensional quality. I mean, it really did feel like it was missing a dimension. Of, you know, I, I don't I don't know what to do with that. I mean, maybe, maybe it's akin to um, when I saw that sort of blob drop down onto my floor in the living room and then move into the hallway and then move into the, you know, and then you see um, a torso move into the bathroom and then you see sort of an invisible sh- shimmering uh, move back out into the living room and, you know, disappear heading toward my room. You know, maybe it's the same sort of thing going on there. I, I don't know. Or maybe it's akin to Jeff's black, what was it, rectangular shape back at the condo that moved across the floor and his dog reacted to it and went into the bathroom. Maybe it's that kind of thing where it, you know, but it definitely seemed like an organism, uh, and it seemed to have flight. It seemed to be flapping wings, you know, um, and swooping at one point. So, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. I'm just throwing it out there. If anyone has experienced anything like this, you know, giant living black construction paper origami pigeons, <laughs> uh, let me know. All right. Take care. Yeah.